Yo, 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 yo. Welcome back to another episode of the X Factor Sports Podcast. This is Jay Mondane. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Got a great show for you guys tonight. We're going to be talking Western Conference Finals, the Western Conference Finals and East Conference Finals, NBA. And we're going to talk about Lakers Nuggets. That series is over with the sweep. And we're going to talk about the Heat and Celtics series. The Celtics live the fight another day and enforce a game five tomorrow. We're also going to get into the WNBA. It's opening week. Got some great games that, that happened. Some players on new teams. We're going to talk about their first impressions. We're also going to get into Brittany Griner coming back after a long hiatus. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. We're also going to get into the NFL. They brought in another rule, or they brought a, a rule back, I should say, from about 10, 12 years ago. And then also we're going to get into some of the betting and the gambling that happens in the NFL, kind of the intricacies about how they're changing the rules on how players are able to bet and how they're not able to bet. And then we will get into our two-minute warning, the the one of the better segments of the end of the show, but definitely we will get into bet that. I know you guys love bet that from last week. That is a mainstay. And then we'll get into our two-minute warning. Before we get into all that, I want to talk about Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony retired after 19 years in the NBA, played for multiple teams, more notably drafted by the Denver Nuggets and played half his career there and played majority of his career as a New York Nick. 19 years in the league, Carmelo Anthony was one of the best basketball players to ever play the game. One of the best scorers of all time. He's ninth on the all-time scoring list. He's a 2003 national champion for Syracuse. As a freshman, he was player of the year. He's a three-time Olympic gold medalist. Olympic Mellow is what they called him. He has so many names, Hoodie Mellow, Olympic Mellow, um, 10-time All-Star, ninth on the all-time scoring list, right behind Shaq, one of the greatest scorers to ever play the game. A um, little bit about him. He is one of my, he was one of my favorite players. Me and him are the same age. So going through college, I've followed his career. He came in the NBA in 03, in that great 03 class with LeBron, D-Wade, and Bosh. So I have a special affinity for the class of 2003 and that draft group. And Carmelo was one of the best players. And it should have won Rookie of the Year. He got Rookie of the Month, obviously, every month in, in the Western Conference. But he also led his team to the playoffs. Denver Nuggets weren't making the playoffs before Melo got there, so he should have got the nod for that. Understand it's a regular season award. LeBron lived up to the hype and still is to this day, but Melo should have at least got that for sure. Um, he is one of five players to average 20 points per game in his first 14 years in the NBA. One of five players. So when I say prolific score, Melo was that guy. All right, so Kareem, Jordan, Shaq, and LeBron, and Carmelo Anthony. That's the list. So he was that guy, for sure. Everybody loved Melo. Great dude. And, again, what I remembered about him the most, for me as a basketball player, I took a lot of pieces of other players' games and patterned it after my game. A lot of people that know me, that know how I play, they know I love playing in the mid-range. I learned a lot of that from watching Melo play, a lot of the footwork. And But more importantly, the physicality. He loved the physicality, getting his shoulders into people, pump faking, getting to the rim, 
doing the dirty work in the mid-range, 18 and in, he was the guy. Like some of the great greatest players will tell you he was the toughest person to guard, the Kevin Durant, the LeBron James, the Kobe Bryant, the Tracy McGrady's, they tell you, Paul Pierce, like you you felt it when you guarded Carmelo Anthony, 48 minutes, he always brought it to you 100%, played hard, He's not going to be known as one of your greatest defensive players, but he was always a marquee superstar on the court. Great player, like I said, went to the Knicks and had a good career there, got them to some playoff series. Didn't necessarily get over the hump in the NBA as far as championships goes, but he won't be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's a top 75 player in the NBA. When you think about the thousands of players that have played this game at the highest level, he's one of the top 75 of all time. So if you make that list of a top 75 player, you're a first ballot Hall of Famer, easy. Like we won't even worry about it. So in 2028, it'll be easy. We know Melo will get in there, no problem. It'll be interesting to see who actually um, presents him. So when you're in the Hall of Fame, when you go to the Hall of Fame, you get presented by somebody. And I'm a nerd, so I'm always interested in Who's going to present this guy? Like, I know, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant, if he would have been alive to get inducted into the Hall of Fame, everybody knew Jordan was going to be the one to introduce him. So it'll be interesting to see when Melo retires, who will it be? Will it be Jim Beheim? Will he mend fences with George Carl, his old coach at Denver? You know, will it be one of his boys? Will it be Melo? I mean, will it be LeBron and D-Wade? Will it be... Coach K from Team USA, you know, the, the gold medals he won for the United States. So it'll be interesting to see. My bet is my money's on Jim Beheim, of course. You know, he had an affinity for him at Syracuse, brought Beheim his one and only national title. So they have a close bond. He also has a, a, a relationship with Jordan. He's a Jordan brand athlete. And he's publicly talked about, you know, spending time with Jordan at his house. You know, he took me down to the gym. We talked two, three o'clock in the morning, watch film when Jordan was playing in the 80s. He said Jordan literally broke down to him how to score the basketball and how to score the basketball. And he says, when I, after that year, I was averaging almost 30 a game, won a scoring title. So obviously he has touched a lot of other athletes, a lot of other players in the NBA. I mean, just go to Twitter and you can see all the love Melo's been getting the last few days for his retirement. But he meant a lot to me as a basketball player, just the way he played the game, um, how tough he was, how real he was. Every locker room said they loved having him. He was always a professional guy. So big up to Carmelo Anthony. Congratulations on your 19 years in the NBA, getting your flowers. Coincidentally, Nikola Jokic is wearing number 15 and doing his thing with the Nuggets. The day you retire is the day that the Denver Nuggets actually go to their first NBA final. So I always like that crazy symmetry when that happens. <laughs> All right. So congrats to my boy Melo. When we come back, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into the conference finals on the East and the Western Conference. So don't go anywhere. We're coming in hot. This is the X Factor Sports Podcast.
Welcome back to the X Factor Sports Podcast. Told you we're coming in hot. These breaks are short, and we are back in it. So we're going to get into the Western Conference Finals first. On Monday night, the Nuggets sweep the Lakers. They complete the sweep. And Jokic wins Western Conference Finals MVP, the Magic Johnson Award. The irony behind it all, right? Wins the Magic Johnson Award in L.A. Um, For the series, though, Jokic averaged 28, 15, and 12. Unreal. He had an unreal conference finals. LeBron had 40, a 40 point triple double in the final game. So he played all 48 minutes, played everything but four seconds. I mean, he left it all out there on the floor, but what would you expect from a great LeBron James, right? Um, but the Nuggets, they don't get enough. I don't think they get enough, let's say, respect or enough notice about the defense they play. Of course, they're one of the best offensive teams in NBA, but I don't think they get enough respect for their defense. The Lakers scored 73 points in the first half. LeBron had 30, I believe, at halftime. 73 points. The Lakers only scored 38 points in the second half. So while everybody was talking about the Nuggets' offense and how they responded, they had a huge third quarter, but the defense is really why they won that game. They held the Lakers to 38 points at home in the second half after surrendering 73. Uh, They have the makings of a championship team. If you've been following this team over the last few years, they've been building, 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 building. Even before the bubble, they've been building. They got to the bubble and made it to the Western Conference Finals. They took a step back last year, caught a bad matchup. They were hurt. Jokic basically dragged that team to the playoffs with Jamal Murray and with Michael Porter Jr. injured. This year, they got all the pieces back. They they added some pieces with Bruce Brown and KCP, and they look like a complete team. They got depth. They got length. They have athleticism. They have the shooting. They have the carelessness of a superstar. They have all the pieces you need to, to be a championship team, and that's why they swept the Lakers. Nuggets have a similar strategy that the Warriors use, used to use, I should say. All those All those attributes I just gave you are very similar to the 2015 Warriors, the strength in numbers, right? They had the depth. They had wing defenders. They had a young Iguodala. They had um, Harrison Barnes, young Draymond Green, so they could switch on everything, most spates. Like they had had the big man that could pass and see the floor with Andrew Bogut. He wasn't as prolific of a scorer as Jokic. But you understand what I'm saying. They And then they had the shooter and Steph and Clay, which they use Jamal Murray in the same way. So they're just building their team around, sharing the ball, free-flowing. Everybody gets a chance to play. But on the other end, they have the wing defenders that can go out and play a 40-minute game and can push the tempo. So they do a lot. And that's the reason why they are in the finals now. So the Nuggets with Jamal Murray, he had, a, he had a strong case. I would say Jamal Murray had a strong case to win the Magic Johnson Award, the finals, or the Western Conference Finals MVP. He's the only player in NBA history in a conference final to put, put up 50, 40, 90 in a series. So what I mean by that, to the viewers that don't understand what that means, he shot 50% from the field, he shot 40% from three, and he shot 90% from the free throw line. So that doesn't even happen in the regular season very often. There are a handful of players that have done that for a season. Kevin Durant did it this year, but on the, on the 
short amount of games, play like 55 games, something like that. Nobody's ever done in a playoff series at the highest level, and Jamal Murray did it. So that was his claim. If you wanted to make an argument for Jamal Murray, I will, I'm all ears. I'll listen to the argument because he 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 deserved it just as much as Jokic did. Average 32 and a half, six rebounds, five assists. So he had a claim to it too. When you have two players of that caliber playing at that high of a level, they're going to be tough to beat. So I'm excited to see what they do in the finals. And after the after the game, obviously you heard about LeBron, the retirement talks. He's not going to retire. Everybody chill out. I personally, if you want to know about me, between me and you and anybody else that's listening, anytime something happens when LeBron plays, there's always a storyline behind it to try to take your mind off of what actually just happened. So we're not going to do that on the X Factor Sports Podcast. If the Lakers would have won, we'd have been talking all Lakers all the time. Shout out to LeBron. Got another team to the finals, but that ain't what happened. The Nuggets beat them, short order, four games. They were competitive games, but a sweep is a sweep. So they don't bring the brooms out and say, nah, it was kind of competitive. I'm going to go ahead and break the broomstick in half. No, a sweep is a sweep. You bring the brooms out. It happened on their court. They gave their best shot. The Nuggets were the better team. Now, this doesn't mean that it was a disappointing year for the Lakers. Now, remember, they were a seven seed. They did start the season off two and ten. So the expectations of them making the playoffs was very low. So now they obviously made some trades midseason before the trade deadline, got a little depth, got some camaraderie, and made a run. So congrats to them on that and for being the defending champs. But let's call it what it is. The Nuggets were the number one seed. They had been the number one seed since Christmas, damn near. And they did what they were supposed to do. And if the Lakers would have won, it would have been an upset. But it's nothing to be disappointed about. They weren't supposed to win that series. Could they have gotten a game? Yes. But to win the series is crazy to think about. So congratulations to the Nuggets. Their first NBA Finals appearance. And from the looks of this team, they look ready. They look fresh. And with the Celtics winning last night, just gives them an extra day. I'm sure they're rooting for the, this series to go seven. They're rooting for the Celtics to take this series all the way to seven, which it really doesn't matter because game one starts, it's already designated. But I'm sure they want the Heat or whoever it is to get seven games in so they don't have enough rest to start game one. So I'm sure they're rooting for seven games. They don't care who they play. But to segue to the, to the Celtics, the Celtics do live to fight another day after last night's game. Jason Tatum had 33 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists. It seems like in the closeout game, no matter if he's on the winning side or the losing side, the one being closed out, this kid shows up to play. Anytime his back's against the wall, he's still young. You're going to get some of that inconsistency that you don't want to see because he's not complete. Mind you, he's not in his prime yet. He's 25 years old, okay? He played one year of college, and he's been he's been in the league long enough. You're like, damn, this dude's got to be 30, but he's not that old. He's only 25, maybe 26. And when it comes to a big game and they need Jason Tatum to be a superstar, he has shown up in the last couple of years. So 33, 11, and 7. And the plus, minus, obviously everybody on the Celtics side was in the plus. But the reason that they won this game is the three-pointers. They went back to being who they've been all season. 
when they win games, when they hit 18 free throw or 18 three-pointers, they're damn near undefeated. They were plus 30 in the three-pointers. The Celtics, plus 30, like I said, threes. The Heat really didn't shoot threes, very, didn't shoot them very good. And that's why you got the blowout that you got. Celtics were down at halftime by six. You can hear everybody talking, oh, it's over. You know, what are they going to do? They ain't even shown any fight. Celtics come out on a 16-0 run in the third quarter, and that was the ball game. Everything else was just holding on, making sure they stay committed to what they came out of the second half to do. And they ended up closing the deal. So game five is tomorrow back in Boston. In most series, that would be a good thing, but Boston haven't been the best team at home in the playoffs. So we'll see. It'll be an exciting game. I honestly think we're in for probably the best playoff game of the postseason so far. I think that game five is going to be a war. We're going to talk about it in a segment called Bet That. That's a teaser, but I get I think that that's it. I think that game five will be a classic for sure. So now let's get over to the Heat. If the Heat lose game five tomorrow, are the Heat in trouble? Nobody's ever come back from down 0-3. Now the series is at 3-1. If they lose tomorrow, it's 3-2. The momentum that they had being up three games is starting to seep away from them. The Celtics might have found something or figured something out. I don't know what Joe Mazzulla did. Maybe the players pushed Joe Mazzulla to the side and said, we got this. I don't know what it was. But it looks like they figured something out in the second half of game four. So game five is going to tell us a lot about what the Celtics can do, how much heart they have, how, how tough are they going to be, and if they're going to try to push this series back to Miami for game six. If they win game five, it's time to start talking about if the Heat are in trouble, if the pressure is back on them with their backs up against the wall, coming back home, losing two straight, and knowing that if they tighten up, if they nut up and lose game six, and they got to go back to Boston for a seventh game after losing three straight, I mean, that's going to be the most pressure Jimmy Butler is running to in the playoffs. But game five will tell us all we need to know about it. I'm excited for it. Like I said, I think it's going to be the best game that we've had this postseason. So I'm looking forward to it. When we come back, we will get into the NFL. Oh, actually, we're not, we're not leaving right now. Let's pause that. We're going to get to the WNBA. Opening week last week of the WNBA, we had... Brianna Stewart, we had Brittany Griner come back after missing almost five. She missed 500 days since her last basketball game. She got welcomed back to the Phoenix Mercury. Brittany Griner, so it was great to see her back on the court. We'll see what the team looks like, but it looked like she, she looked really good. She looks fresh, and it's just good to see her back playing basketball. It was a great time to see her last weekend playing in Phoenix. In the East Coast, though, we had the New York Liberty with Brianna Stewart. Brianna put up a career high 42 points in her opening night in New York. She's a home. She's a New York girl. She was happy to be back. They're my team to go to the to the finals in the East. And then we got the Vegas Aces who introduced Candace Parker last week as well. We, I got them going back to the finals in the West. So I think the two teams that actually got better with veteran leadership and probably an MVP candidate in, in Stewie will meet in the WNBA Finals. It'll be a great season to watch. If you haven't checked out the WNBA, you need to do that. They, they're they great players. 
Again, the superstars need to be marketed a little bit better, but they play great basketball, especially when the playoffs start. So be on the lookout for the New York Liberty and the Vegas Aces. Those are my two picks to go to the finals this summer. When we return, we will get into the NFL. They brought a rule back that they took away back in 2010. And we're going to talk about the gambling that's been happening in the NFL. Players getting caught, dumb reasons, on their phones in the facilities. We're going to get into that in some ways that you can bet and what is legal and what's not and what the NFL is doing to change that. This is the X Factor Sports Podcast. Don't go nowhere. Welcome back, everybody. X Factor Sports Podcast. All right, let's get into the NFL now. They have a rule that they took off. It was in 1991 they established a rule, and then they, it lasted until 2010. Well, now this season coming up, they're bringing it back. The rule is for them to have what's called an emergency third quarterback. I think after what they saw last year in the NFC Championship game happened to the 49ers, Brock Purdy getting hurt, all these secondary quarterbacks getting hurt. They almost had McCaffrey. They almost had uh, McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey, become the quarterback. <laughs> all right, I think it's a bad product on the field. That game kind of was a wash after they lost their quarterback. So they figured, hell, we need to get somebody on the field. So what they're doing now with this 52-man roster, instead of bringing – 12 linebackers to the to the playoffs or adding 12 linebackers to a roster special teams guys that won't get in they're actually going to do what's called an emergency quarterback they're going to allow teams to add a third quarterback to their roster so we don't see what happened to the 49ers happen again to anybody else like i said this rule actually did exist back in 91 they implemented this rule and then they got rid of it in 2010 so they'll be bringing it back Obviously, the rule is revenue-driven because of what happened in the NFC Championship game. It's a quarterback-driven league. You want the quarterbacks to be able to play. You want to make sure the quality of the game is somewhat the same. Even if it's a third-string guy, you want him to be able to play. Hell, somebody can come on, come on the field that's played quarterback in the past, but at least you've got a security blanket for that third spot. So that's what they're going to do there. I think it's a great idea. I don't think they ever should have let that rule go. It just makes sense to have as many quarterbacks as you can so the game can keep going. I don't want to see a, a running back or a special teams guy try to get in and play or throw the ball or play quarterback. You know they can't throw the damn ball. All they're going to do is run running plays, go back to wildcat offense. I don't want to see that. I'd rather see an actual quarterback in that position. 
So they're going to bring that back for us. So next year, this will be interesting to see what it looks like. Hopefully nobody gets hurt. Hopefully nobody needs to use this emergency, kind of break the glass for the fire extinguisher. Hopefully they don't need to do that. So more information about the NFL with the gambling. What the hell is going on with this gambling? These players, why, why are you gambling? One, why are you gambling on football games? You play in the NFL. And then two, why the hell are you gambling in the facility? So <laughs> somebody just teach these players, when you gamble on your, on your device, it has a location on it, all right? There's a VPN on your device and it has a location. It tells where you are. So what the NFL and what the facilities have done is they have put a VPN tracker in their facilities so they know if the players are gambling, not only if they're gambling on sports in general, but specifically in football. And that's why a lot of these players are getting caught. So since the rules were implemented back in 2018, seven players have been caught and suspended. There have been some equipment guys or just other other staff on, on, the, on these different teams, but seven players notably have been suspended in the last five years since they implemented. The NFL educates over 17,000 players annually, former and current, about the rules of gambling. They're not telling you you can't gamble. They're just saying be smart about it. You clearly can't gamble on NBA, NFL games. So you'll be suspended for betting on the NFL, obviously. Why the hell would they allow you to bet on games? You play. And then you'll be suspended for betting anywhere in the NFL facility. So fantasy football, fantasy sports is not considered betting. So if you got a if you're doing something with like a teammate, y'all do a fantasy football league, y'all bet money on that. Sure, that's fine. Obviously, you can bet money. Players travel all the time, card games, you hear the stories about everybody betting tens and thousands of dollars on the plane with card games. But when it comes to fantasy sports, that's not technically considered sports betting. So that's allowed. But the facilities, they don't want you betting on football and they don't even want you betting on any other sport if you're in the facility. So what's the lesson here? Go home and place your bets. <laughs> don't bet on football if you play in the league and place your bets out of the facility. It's very simple. There's about 30 states now that has legalized gambling. I'll be glad when Missouri gets it. I mean, hurry up. What are we waiting on? But <laughs> so any of the other 30 states that allow gambling, these rules are in place for that. So, yes, the players can still bet, but they don't want you messing up the integrity of the game. They don't even want the possibility of talking about throwing a football game to even be – to even – fall into the into the cracks right they don't even want that to slip in so it makes sense that this rule is in place and it's been in place for years but players try to skirt around it famously uh, a famous player known calvin ridley he's back off suspension from gambling online betting last season and he's finally back and reinstated he'll play for the jacksonville jaguars this year but that's the lesson like, just don't gamble on football and don't do it in the facilities I think it's a pretty simple rule, but these other seven players that have been suspended clearly thought they could slip through the cracks and they can't. So it'll be interesting to see how these rules play next season. It'll be interesting to see how this third quarterback will play, how, will come into play. It gives a player a little more money, I guess, on the practice squad, but hopefully we don't have to run into that and no one gets injured. We'll want to see a full season where you just have the first string and the backup. 
when we come back, it's that time. We get into our favorite segment, Bet That. We're going to get into a five-leg parlay this week in the NDA. So don't touch that dial when we get back with the X-Factor Sports Podcast. Welcome back to the X Factor Sports Podcast. We are at the segment that we all love to, to see, Bet That. All right, so in this segment, when we do Bet That, this is where we are going to get into a parlay. We'll get into different types of sports bets. We will do fantasy football, fantasy sports once that comes around in the fall. So be sure to tune in for that. This week on Bet That, we're going to talk about the Celtics and the Heat again. Game five is tomorrow night. We got a five-leg parlay. If you weren't here last week, the five-leg parlay is basically what that means is we're going to pick five things to happen in the in the game, and all five of those things have to happen in order for you to win that money, all right? So the first leg of the parlay, the Heat are actually seven-and-a-half-point underdogs. The Heat are actually seven-and-a-half-point underdogs in Boston. I say the Heat are going to cover that spread, all right? They've been able to cover a lot of the spreads that they've had in the playoffs this year. And the Celtics are up and down at home. Like I told you guys in the opening monologue, I think this is going to be a battle. I think this will be the best playoff game that we've had this postseason. And I don't see it. I don't see the Heat getting blown out. I don't think they'll lose by eight or more points. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if this game goes in overtime, to be honest. I think it's going to be a great game. The Heat have already won twice in Boston. They're comfortable there. They know they need one more to close it out and get to the finals. So I'm not saying who's going to win or lose because I'm going to be honest with y'all. I don't know. <laughs> All right. But if I once I saw that seven and a half, I was like, nah, I don't think the Heat are going to go out like that. So I think the Heat will cover. They may lose the game, but I think they'll lose by less than seven points. All right. The second leg, we got over 215 and a half. So with over-unders, like we talked about last week, this is the total score of both teams when they score the points. They've been averaging 226 points, I believe, in this series. I believe they're going to go over 215. Vegas is trying to tell you that it might be a blowout. When they talk about an over-under being a 215, and then they give you the heat as a 7.5-point underdog the way this series has been going, Vegas is trying to tell you something. 
So they're trying to tell you it might be a blowout like it was in game four. And in order for it to be a blowout like that, you're going to need somebody to score some points. So I would not be surprised. I'm pretty sure the Heat and the Celtics can both score 108 points. That gives you 216 right there. Boom. So I'm going to take the over on the 215 and a half. The third leg, Tatum getting 28 over 28 and a half. All right. Tatum may have found something in game four. Also, when Jason Tatum in elimination games, he's averaging 30 points a game for his career in the playoffs. So pretty sure he's going to get over that 28 and a half. And like I said, Celtics might have found something. The way he was playing, if you paid attention to the game yesterday, he was a little more aggressive. He was getting floaters. He was getting to the rim. He wasn't just settling for jump shots. He was using his quickness and using his length to get to the rim, get free throws, get easy baskets, to try to get a rhythm so he can start making threes in the second half, if you notice that. So I think he'll follow that same recipe. I think he'll... I think you'll continue that and get over the 28 and a half points for sure. The fourth leg we're going to talk about is Caleb Martin. So he'll get over 16 plus points, rebounds, and assists. So if you're looking at parlays, you can scroll down. This is usually down the bottom, but you can do what's called a player prop or a play and, and add that to your parlay. What a player prop is, is when a player does multiple things on their stat sheet. So points, rebounds, and assists have to equal a certain number. With this one, Kayla Martin is showing if he could get over 16 points, rebounds, and assists, those stats combined. I believe he'll do that. Kayla Martin's averaged 24 and a quarter points, rebounds, and assists in this series. So I don't see any reason for him to not get over 16. Even if his production drops 33%, he's still at 16 points, rebounds, and assists if you add them all up. So I don't see him falling off. He's shooting 63% from the field in Boston. In those first two games, very comfortable there. And then also a little nugget you might need to know, Gabe Vincent actually is not 100% for game five. If you watch game four last night, he rolled his ankle trying to get a rebound or actually got a shot blocked in the corner, tried to jump up and get the ball back and kind of rolled his ankle, tweaked it a little bit, came back in the game, but he's not 100%, which means a lot, of, a lot more things will probably go through Caleb Martin like it did in the first half of game four. With that being said, a lot more opportunities to get those points, rebounds, and assists for sure. So take that Caleb Martin over 16 with points, rebounds, and assists. Our fifth leg of the parlay, Bam grabs over seven and a half rebounds. I know some people are thinking like, why is it seven and a half? Of course, you can't grab half a rebound. You're right. But when it comes to betting, in order to not get what's called a push or a tie, Vegas does, or the odds makers, they put the .5s in there because it forces the statistics to go over or below. That's why they put the .5 in there. Obviously, he's not going to grab a seven and a half rebounds, so he's either going to grab seven, which means you won't get that bet, or he's going to grab eight. So that puts you in the middle of the over-under. So that's why you do the half points. So Bam will grab over seven and a half rebounds for sure. All right, he grabbed eight rebounds in the last two games combined. They know how important game five is. It's a pivotal game. He's got something to prove. He hadn't played well the last two games, even though they won game three without him playing well. He knows he has to show up for game five for sure. Grabbing eight rebounds in the last two games, I'm pretty sure he's going to grab eight rebounds in this next game. He averaged nine rebounds in the in the playoffs up until this series, so he's due for a big game. So I'm, I'm betting on Bam out of the bio to get over seven and a half boards in game five. 
So that's the legs of our parlay. We got the Heat covering the seven and a half point spread. We're going to take the over 215 and a half. We're going to take Tatum getting over 28 and a half points. Caleb Martin for the Miami Heat will get over 16 of the points, rebounds, and assists. And then we're going to go with Bam Adebayo getting over eight rebounds. All right. So this is how we do that. I'm going to run to the Kansas side and probably place this bet tomorrow morning for sure because <laughs> I can't do it here, but that's all good. But that's what I'm going with. Be sure to check us out every week when we do our segment of Bet That where I'm going to talk about a bunch of different sports. Next week, I'll even be talking about the NHL Stanley Cup final because they'll be there next week. We'll get a parlay with a bunch of different sports. I'm going to mix it up for you guys and we'll see if we can win some of that money. When we come back, after bet that, we're going to get into the two-minute warning, all right? I'm going to talk about a very special man, a very special man for society, in Black history, and in sports when we come back. X Factor Sports Podcast. Welcome back to the X Factor Sports Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Every week, Wednesday night, 7 p.m., we are on YouTube, Facebook, TikTok Live. You can also follow the Instagram page and the Twitter page at X Factor Sports with that Z. All right, check it out. So I want to talk about someone that is very important in our culture, in our society, uh, the late, great Jim Brown. Jim Brown passed away May 18th, and he was a great man is an understatement for what Jim Brown was for so many different people. And before I get into Jim Brown, the man, I want to, because this is a sports show, so we're going to talk about what he meant to all athletes, not just football players. Uh, back in the 50s, he was at Syracuse. And the funny story that I just learned not too long ago, when um, I think I probably learned this when that movie came out about um, Ernie Davis, the Ernie Davis story. And it talked about Jim Brown in the 50s being at Syracuse in his first year, they didn't even want to honor his scholarship. 
because obviously, because he's a black man in the 50s going to a university, they didn't even want to honor his scholarship. So he had someone actually pay his way his first year at Syracuse until he earned his scholarship and played the last three years of it. But in those last three years, he became arguably the greatest football, college football player there was. Some of his highlights at Syracuse, I mean, he has still holds the record today for scoring six touchdowns in a game and kicking seven PATs. I mean, think about that. This 2023, back in the 50s, you had an athlete that you had an athlete that ran for six touchdowns in a game and he kicked seven PATs. Was that 42, 43 points in a game by one person? I mean, the things that he did was unreal on the football field. He was also a great lacrosse player. He played basketball at Syracuse. He did everything. I mean, he's basically the Jackie Robinson of college sports in that time. You you can hear about or read about all the ugly stories that happened to Jack uh, that happened to Jim Brown back in the fifties, as you can expect. You know the bigotry that was happening in America at that time, and he he faced he fought through it all. You know he so he was an inspiration to a lot of people. Even though I was obviously I wasn't alive then, but I've you know my my uncles and you know coaches and other people that I've talked to in sports have told me so many stories about what, what Jim Brown was, what he meant to them, what he meant from afar. And obviously after Syracuse, he goes to the NFL. He only played nine seasons in the NFL. But let me tell you what he did in those nine years. He was the MVP three of those years. He was a rookie of the year. He won an NFL championship for the Cleveland Browns. So this was before Super Bowls. He was an eight-time first-team All-Pro in nine years. He was a nine-time Pro Bowler every year, an eight-time rushing leader, a five-time scoring leader. I don't know if they even do scoring leaders anymore, but I told you, six TDs and seven point-after touchdowns in one game, you knew he could score. <laughs> so he did that five times. And he was in the 1960s All-Decade team, which back in those days for not only an African-American, not only a running back, but the fact that he only, he got in the NFL in 1965, made the all decade team and didn't even play the entire decade, just shows you the dominance that Jim Brown had in the NFL as a player. I mean, he made all, he made the Pro Bowl every year that he played. And he was a first-team All-Pro every year except his rookie year. Like he was the standard at that position. He was not just the standard as a football player or as a running back, but as a football player. And to make the All-Decade team back in the 60s where we weren't looked upon as great or smart or intelligent players, like he was the standard for everybody. He was what everyone aspired to be. He was on the NFL's 50th anniversary team. So in the first 50 years of the NFL, Jim Brown was already one of the greatest players to ever play the game. So obviously he's on the 7,500, whatever, all time. And when you talk to, when you talk about other football players, when they go to the hall of fame, when they go to any type of NFL gathering, everybody 
everybody approached him and, and talked about him as Mr. Jim Brown. Like he was the guy. He is the guy. And when he walked in the room, everybody stood up for him. So it wasn't like, I mean, I've heard multiple players, Shannon Sharp, Deion Sanders, Michael Irvin, Jerry Rice. I've heard multiple people talk about when they see him, how regal he is of a person that everybody would stop what they were doing and stand up in the room when they saw Mr. Brown come in it. Like he was a godlike figure in, in football and not just football. He was an even greater man. And that's, and that's what separated him from a lot of the players in the NFL, because at the time he could have just been a regular player, played football, kind of walked in the straight line. Yes, sir. No, sir. No, he didn't do that. He was a civil rights man. He stood up for what he believed in. He stood up for black excellence in terms of black men running, black men and women getting their own businesses, education. He figured that was the way you excel in this society. Yes, it's ugly. We're in the middle of civil rights, but if you want to excel, you get an education and you build businesses and you own things of your own. That's how you do it. So as one of the athletic leaders of the civil rights movement, along with Muhammad Ali, Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he stood at the forefront of all that was good for us as a culture, pushing the, pushing the sport forward, pushing us forward in class, and just being one of the greatest men, not only one of the greatest athletes to, to ever live. And to that, I salute the great Jim Brown. You will be missed. And from a from being an athlete that learned about you, read about you, I just say thank you. Um, we have an opportunity to do this show. We have an opportunity to, to do the things we do today because of you. And we appreciate you and we miss you. This is Jay Mondane from the X Factor Sports Podcast signing out. Peace.